It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Inside Sources. Welcome back to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson, and we've been focusing this week on homelessness, those facing homelessness, and we wanted to get a little more specific today. Uh, very pleased to be joined now by Jeff Kane, who is the executive director of the Homeless Veterans Fellowship uh, up in Ogden, uh, to talk about this uh, critical piece of the puzzle uh, to me, and that is we have these these heroes, these people who have served our country and protected our freedoms uh, that are finding themselves uh, on the street or facing homelessness and uh, what is available to them and how do we how do we shift this in terms of the homeless population uh, Jeff thanks for joining us today thank you Boyd Boyd for having us you bet so give us just a little uh, a little backstory in terms of the homeless veterans fellowship obviously up there in uh, Ogden and uh, dealing with that uh, part of our community but give us a, a little of your history there well homeless veterans fellowship has been around since the 80s, um, serving only veterans. Um, today, we have several programs that complement each other that work with veterans who are either homeless or at risk of being homeless, as well as veterans and their families. You know, the key is to get them back into housing, get them stabilized, um, and having a more productive life if they want it. Yeah. Uh, and so what kind of numbers are we looking at in terms of veterans that are experiencing homelessness here in Utah and specifically up in, in Ogden? Well, first of all, we, we have a transitional housing program for veterans that uh, need a little hands-on intensive case management. Uh, so we have 25 beds for that, 25 units. And then we also have some of the veterans from transitional they just, one reason or another, would not be able to or have not been able to maintain their own housing. Uh, we have another 12 beds in that for permanent supportive, so it's not time-limited for those individuals. Oh. And generally, we take in those with schizophrenia, um, major um, major mental illnesses, severe and persistent types. Uh, other programs won't accept them. Uh, sometimes they're not medicated. Sometimes they just have behaviors that are a little too outside of the norm. So they come and stay with us without a time limitation on them. Uh-huh. And then we have another grant that covers the entire state of Utah except Salt Lake County and southern Idaho. And there we can have case managers go out with some temporary financial assistance so that the veterans don't have to leave their areas. Um, and come to Salt Lake City and be homeless here, we can actually reach them in their communities where their families are and help them get um, into housing there. We can pay their damage deposit, things that they cannot afford. And then we have another program that serves veterans that are over income uh, for most programs. But because they're 100% disabled, they have conditions that uh, do not, does not allow them to, 
um, maintain housing, and so they become homeless, but they're over income, so there were no services before for that. So now we have case managers to work with them on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, together, to give you an idea, in 2019 and 2020, we, we, we served 120 or 130 veterans each of those years. Um, today, and we're only nine months into our fiscal year, we've already hit 240 veterans we've see, served. Wow. So we had a full 100%. We're anticipating about a 260% increase uh, by the end of this fiscal year. Wow. Um, so the numbers are always fluctuating. Yeah. So, so, um, so I want to break into those numbers just a, uh, a little bit. You uh, you talk about those uh, dealing with mental illness, and, and a lot of programs you know aren't set up to to cope with that or to deal with that or to provide a pathway uh, for that. So, what what is it that uh, you can do for those that are experienced, as you mentioned, just some of the different elements in terms of mental illness? Well, with all of our veterans, um, it, it's going to be the same thing. We we assess the individual and see what their needs are in order to uh, obtain and maintain their own housing. So many times we begin from the very start of getting their birth certificate, getting them IDs, getting them all those things that now allows them to access different programs. And once we get them to there, um, the case managers, and we also have licensed clinical therapists working with us um, for those that have severe mental illnesses. Um, to help them overcome, to be able to operate with the illness that they have. And, and we call them more like unique characteristics. Mm-hmm. Um, illnesses always make it seem like it's insurmountable. So everybody has their own characteristics. Yes. And some have been diagnosed with a mental illness. And so what can they do as they are right now? And, you know, would they be receptive to getting more mental health treatment from, say, the VA medical center? Yeah. Um, can we connect them to outpatient? Is there substance abuse that we can get them into a residential? And so we basically work with the veteran and and see what they would like to do as well as what's available to them because oftentimes they don't know what's really out there. Yeah. Uh, um, oh, and then we just walk them through it. Yeah, wonderful. And, and I think one of the other things uh, that I think you alluded to uh, Jeff, and if you're just joining us, we've got Jeff Kane on the line, the executive director of the Homeless Veterans Fellowship uh, in Ogden. And uh, this this idea that often what happens is there's uh, there's sort of this cliff uh, in terms of what someone who's facing homelessness deals with, what assistance they can get or can't get. And if they do, they, they can't have housing or they don't get these benefits or they can't have a job or they don't get these benefits uh, and is there a better way in terms of creating kind of a glide path uh, for some of these where it seems like we, we try to help them progress and, and improve and, and get skills and, and strengthen them? And, and, and then certainly we, we hit this cliff where it's better for them to stay where they are than it is to keep progressing. You know, with the veteran population, it has been that way in the past. Um, I've been the executive director here for over 15 years, mm-hmm. um, and so I've seen some changes. And currently, the VA uh, is doing such a really good job. Like with our program, we started with transitional, and the VA realized that that only fit a percentage of the population that was homeless. So then they offered another grant to fund another program, which we were able to receive. Wonderful. And so right now we have several grants that can reach 
the majority of people that are homeless that are veterans. Um, and in regards, so we have the full service right here with our program, um, which is really nice. We also use the state of Utah funding. Uh, they've been so wonderful with helping us for our permanent supportive housing, uh, which the VA doesn't cover, um, but the state picked up. And then we have funding through our county, um, County Commissioner uh, Jenkins up here and his team. Um, and so it's really after 15 years of working here, it's really wonderful to see how everything is starting to pull together and gel together. That's great. Um, the war on homelessness has been so long. I mean, it goes back through history. Yeah. And it's oftentimes measured the success of a community is based on the number of homelessness they have in that community, and they've always been trying to reduce it, and it fluctuates. Um, today, it's it's just really nice to see that people are aware of it, and people are and more and more people are recognizing it that every one of these individuals or many of these individuals are really good human beings. Yes. And if we can get them back on our roles of our community, um, there's just an asset to our society. Oh, fantastic. And to, to, to ignore them is, is such a deficit to our community and our society as a whole. Yeah, so true. Um, and so we're evolving. We evolve slower than I would like, <laughs> but... Uh, you know, you, you you never get what you really want. You know, you're always hoping to just snap your fingers and everything's there. That's right. Uh, the state of Utah has just been really good with us. The Department yeah. of Veterans Affairs has just been awesome. Right. Uh, they're always assessing it when there's a need. Yeah. Uh, what is that need? And can we create a program to get out to their community partners like ourselves um, so that we can offer these services. Yeah. And they, the, the VA itself, has a huge amount of programs for homelessness. All right. Jeff Kane, the executive director of the Homeless Veterans Fellowship in Ogden, uh, doing some great work there. And it's important that we treat these heroes as heroes. They are not liabilities to be managed. They are humans with immense potential to add value to our communities. We're going to step aside for top of the hour news when we come back. More of our conversation on what comes next in the Republican Party. Stay with us here on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.